Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Pickle! Pickle! Pickle, pickle, pickle. An ethics podcast for kids. Philosophy! <laughs> Small people, big questions. That's like really weird. Hey, Carl, let me tell you a little story about Ambika's 70th birthday. Make a wish, Ambika! Who's Ambika? Is she a friend? Kind of. Anyway, it was a lot like any other birthday party. Oh All of her friends were around. People came from out of town. Cool. Her cake was really delicious. It was this mixture of ice and tropical oh, wow. fruit. Look at uh, not my dream dessert, no chocolate, but each to their own. But... That's with the long face, Shamita. You know, that's a good description of how I'm feeling, Carl. Huh? Long face? You've lost me. I'm sad about elephants. <laughs> and because an elephant... She's lived almost her whole life in a zoo. Just imagine, she's taking the same walks every day. She doesn't have her family around. And all those tourists keep coming by and taking pictures of her. Let you can, see? Today on Pickle, we're looking at whether an elephant like Ambika has a good life. We know that many humans care about elephants and want them to live the best lives possible. But is their best life in a zoo? Out in the wild? somewhere else altogether. What even counts as a good life if you're an elephant? And how do we work that out if we can't talk to elephants? What are we going to do? I thought you were going to decide. It's impossible. This is too much. Pickle! co-workers like to say, they're not human, but they're people. They have personalities. Today on Pickle, we're heading to the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. Where's the elephants? I met up with Marie Galloway. She's been working with the elephants at the zoo for 30 years, and she really gets Ambika. I swear that elephant laughs. She just gets a look on her face. Really? And it looks almost like a smile, and it's a little bit open mouth, <laughs> and you know you just did something stupid. And she's laughing at you. <laughs> she's full of spit and vinegar. <laughs> okay, let's back up a minute. How exactly did Ambika end up in the National Zoo? Has she been there for her whole life? No, she was born in the wild in India. But when she was only about eight years old, just a little baby elephant... <gasps> like with the cute, fuzzy, fluffy hair? <laughs> yes, with the cute, fuzzy, fluffy hair. Adorable. She was captured. And she was trained to carry wood. Wait, what? It's a common thing, training elephants to do manual labor. Really? Yeah, I mean, when I go to India to visit my grandmother, even in the big cities... I sometimes see elephants. They're walking around in the streets along with the cars. And usually, they're carrying a bunch of heavy things. So they're like working elephants then? Yeah, it's a bit like how some people use donkeys or horses to cart around people and help plow fields. So wouldn't moving from there to the zoo have been a nice change for Ambika? In a lot of ways, yeah. When we visited the elephant kitchen with all of these giant containers full of fruits and vegetables, Brian Amaral from the zoo explained what the elephants eat. A lot of celery, romaine lettuce, bok choy. Only green vegetables? Ugh. Uh, The things that we typically don't find as tasty, but the elephants do just fine with. Is there anything that you give them, like a treat, like for dessert or something? We do at special occasions like birthdays and whatnot. We'll do 
fruit sickles, we call them. So they're giant blocks of ice made to look like a birthday cake. So the keepers give Ambika all that food every day. But that's not all they give her there, right? Yeah, at the National Zoo, they also give them a place to sleep. They have all this outdoor space to roam around. Cool. And when I was there the other day, I got to go behind the scenes and see the elephant barn. (gasps) I bet it was really smelly. Well, on a scale of zero to hold your nose, it was surprisingly unsmelly. Ooh, what's that? Is that breakfast? Someone else's breakfast? No, that's that's what happens after breakfast. (laughs) Uh, Everything that goes in has to come out, so that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The elephants were getting ready for their morning baths. Right, I'm picturing enormous bubble baths, white robes, maybe like some scented candles. Carl, no, they just use a huge hose. And the whole time, the zookeeper gives the elephant directions, like, turn around and pick up your foot. All right. And then at this view, we can see um, different angles of her cuticles and nails, the bottom of her foot. So it really helps us take care of her feet, um, which are very important for the overall care for elephants. Wait, so that elephant was getting a pedicure? Pretty much, yeah. Elephants have toenails. (laughs) Well, it kind of sounds like Ambika has pretty much everything she needs there at the zoo. She is cared for, definitely. But are these the things that give an elephant a good life? Let's hear what our Brains Trust had to say. Brains Trust. Brains Trust. Brains Trust. trust. So I think they need three essentials, food, water, and shelter. And then they they don't need this, but I think for a really nice life, they probably want uh, to be in a group of elephants. If, like, an elephant wants you to do something, you're not going to understand it because you don't really know what they're saying because they can't really talk. If we took them for more, they'd be long without, like, the elephant agreeing with it. So I feel like we have the responsibility to make, yeah, make them feel at home and all that. Elephants, in in a funny way, are kind of like people because if we go to a zoo, we're watching them. And we're kind of trying to get entertained from the silly moments or whatever happens to them. And... In human nature, we end up laughing at that because we're afraid of something different. Um, I think elephants will need a high population of female elephants. Like, if an elephant had birth and his child was struggling to stand up, other female elephants would come and help the child stand up. They're always there for each other and maintains order. Girl power. So, Shamita, given elephants love girl power, do you think they're a big fan of, like, Beyonce or...? They probably are. Who run the world? Girls. (laughs) You know, in the wild, Carl, elephant groups are usually led by one older female. But some of the other kids in our brains trust seem to think that we just have no way of telling what an elephant wants, or if they like Beyonce. Which is kind of what the keepers told me at the National Zoo. We don't know what elephants are feeling. The only way I know how you're feeling is based on what you tell me. Um, But I can make some pretty good guesses after working with them for 30 years. So what does it look like when an elephant is happy, or how do you know if an elephant is happy? Well, a content elephant is generally has gently flapping ears, their tails swaying back and forth. They're never really still. Sometimes you'll see them communicating, you'll see the, the portion of their head between their eyes that'll just start to vibrate, and they're often communicating when they do that. Very often it might be a greeting. If their ears, if you come in in the morning and their ears start flapping furiously and they're, and if they start to pee, that's an even better greeting. <laughs> oh, yeah, so not too dissimilar to humans. They pee when they, you know, they're excited to see someone. So uh, I don't get why you're worried about her. Well, Carl, let me put it this way. 
Did you know elephants have eyelashes? They do? Yeah. I noticed that during their bath time, they have these long, long, straight eyelashes and <laughs> these amazing big eyes. And it's like when you look at them, you can just see that they're thinking. But what are they thinking? Well, that's the difficult question. Do you ever think that the elephants wake up every day and they're like, oh, here again, I know this place. I know this place like the back of my tusk yeah, or whatever it is. I don't think that they're really thinking that way because it's yeah. they're just their home. No more yeah. than you wake up in your bed and go, oh, here I am at home, unless you travel an awful lot. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't see any signs of that. Now, maybe when they've recently moved somewhere, perhaps. Yeah. I do wonder if they think, like, after Shanti lost her first baby, I wonder, does she ever just think about her? Shanti's another elephant that lives with Ambika, and she had a baby named Kamari. But Kamari got sick, and she died. There would be times I'd see her standing in a certain spot and staring over in a place where Kamari would always be. She changed her habits and her routines, but every once in a while she'd go back to that spot she would stand all the time with Kamari. I gotta think she's thinking about her. You see? The zookeepers, who spend all this time with the elephants, get this sense that they're thinking and feeling. You know what, Carl? I think we're going to need to talk to our very own philosopher, Dr. Jen Morton, from the City College of New York. Dr. Jen! Here comes Dr. Jen! Is somebody in a pickle? Dr. Jen, is it possible to understand things that aren't us? Well, first we might want to think about whether it's possible to even understand other human beings and how we do that. How do I know what's going on inside the minds of Shemita and Carl? Well, it's all crazy up here for me. That's a deep question, Dr. Jen. But with human beings, we sort of assume that roughly what's going on in your mind is not that different from what's going on in my mind. But with elephants, that's a really difficult leap to make because elephants have very different physical bodies. They live in very different environments. They don't have a language that they share with us. To draw the conclusion that they have things going on in their minds that are like what we have going on in our minds is a really big leap. So there's a limit to how much we can understand because we can't ask Ambika like we could ask each other. But Jen, even if we can figure out what makes an elephant happy enough to flap its ears, is that the same as a good life? We don't really know. Because what we're doing is, are you guys ready for a really big word? Always. Lay it on us, Dr. Jen. Anthropoform. (laughs) (laughs) Anthropomorphizing. What's that? It means that we're thinking about this question from a human perspective. And we're applying our own standards, our own ways of seeing things to animals. But animals are quite different than human beings. And it might be that our ideas about a good life and happiness don't apply to them. So there might be things that elephants want or need, but that we have no way of knowing about or understanding because there are things we've never even thought about. (laughs) Carl, what are you doing? Oh, sorry. I'm just just trying to get into that mindset of being an elephant. So I'm imagining what it's like blowing a trumpet. Is it helping? No, not really. Okay, Look, Carl, I guess even though elephants can be really well looked after in places like zoos, what really gets to me is just how different the life of an elephant in the wild is from one that lives in the zoo. 
You mean because they have fewer pedicures and fruitsicles? Well, not just that, Carl. You see, Ambika's an Asian elephant, and so her ancestors lived in the jungle. <sighs> yeah, I feel like I'm there. It's hot and steamy and... Oh, there, there are bugs everywhere. Well, this is their home. They live here in herds of up to 12 elephants. Right, like you said, the mums and the babies stick together. Yeah, and researchers believe that they form these really strong bonds, and they communicate by making this kind of vibrating humming sound. Oh, and of course, by trumpeting. And they communicate by touching with their trunks, right? Oh yeah, of course. They're always kind of poking at each other and patting. But having this picture of, you know, this lovely <laughs> situation uh, isn't isn't necessarily reality. That's Melissa Songer. She goes by Mel. I met her at the zoo, but she doesn't study the elephants there. She studies elephants out in the wild, in their natural habitat. It's not easy to be an elephant in the wild. Like I said, they have to eat 18 hours a day. They're threatened in, in most places where they are because there is just less and less space for them to be in the wild. Mel believes elephants like Ambika in zoos can actually help wild elephants. We're not just about having the animals here. My, I mean, my ultimate objective, I guess, is about sustaining those populations in the wild. Uh, and, and I think zoo elephants are a really important part of that in terms of what we can learn, in terms of really um, improving the chances and, and increasing the numbers in the wild. Because I think that is kind of the ultimate goal. I heard there are fewer than 50,000 elephants left in the whole world. Wow. Well, maybe it isn't such a bad thing for Ambika to live in the zoo. I mean, she does live with other elephants, and sure, they're not her family and not even from the same place, but Marie, the zookeeper, she said those other elephants are really important to Ambika. She really um, enjoys the companionship of other elephants and of her human counterparts as well, her human co-workers. Do you ever think in your day-to-day about what the lives of these elephants would have been like if they were in their natural environment? Oh, absolutely. Any good zookeeper worth their salt sometimes questions what we do. Freedom is a very abstract thought. To me, I wonder often what an elephant thinks and how they think, even more than what they think. But do they, do they stand around and do they think abstract things? I think a that as long as those needs are met, I see them content and satisfied and even enjoying their lives. Now, See, Shamita, maybe elephants don't really think about the difference between living in the zoo and being free. But how would we know either way? We're not elephants. Sounds like it's time for us to take five, Shamita. Yep, that sound means it's time for a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pickle from WNYC Studios. Our website is picklepodcast.org. You'll find a video there of Carl and Shumita and a link to a survey we'd love you to check out. This is one of our first kids' podcasts, and your feedback will help us figure out what to do next. We're back! Carl, where did we leave off? Our marvelous herd of Brains Trust pachyderms has some thoughts on this one. We asked them about the pros and cons of elephants being in zoos. Brains Trust? Brains Trust. Brains Trust. Brains Trust, yeah. I think if I was an elephant, I might like to be in a zoo because I would get the proper care. Like, I think they should be free, but then if they're in zoos, they have less chance of being, like, poached, and so we have more. But then that takes their real life away and uh, how they really act. 
elephants, and not just elephants, like every animal on the earth, they have a specific place they're made for, and they should be there. They shouldn't be in that small of a space, because they have very large social groups, and they just belong in large open spaces. Also, they're going to get irritated by just being there and, like, just eating every day, and then every day is the same routine, and... Probably, the like, we just see zoos as, well, zoos, but probably what the animals see is... Torture. A prison. Because that's, because when you think about it, that's what it is. It's an animal prison. My cousin, he works with the elephants at the Tulsa Zoo, and so I know that they have good care because he's really good Wow, Shamita, what that one kid said about zoos being like a prison for animals. That's so scary. Yeah. I, I've never thought of it that way. I mean, a lot of kids seem to think that the lives elephants lead in zoos are totally different to their natural lives and not always in a good way. Let's see what Pickle's very own ethicist, Dr. Jen Morton, thinks about what all those students had to say. We've been talking about Ambika today, who's lived to be 70 years old in the National Zoo. But would she have lived a better life out in the wild? That depends on what we think a good life for Ambika would be. Aristotle, an ancient Greek philosopher, thought that all species had an essence that they were supposed to live up to. So an elephant has an elephanty essence. <laughs> and in order to lead a good life as an elephant, you had to lead the life that was characteristic of being an elephant. This is a really odd view. And it's odd because if you think about human beings, for example, is our goal in life to lead the most human life possible, the life that is natural for human beings? What does that even mean? I mean, is being on your phone all day natural for humans? That's a good question. I'm not sure what it means for us, and I'm not really sure what it would mean for Ambika. The idea seems to be that elephants don't belong in zoos because that's not where they're supposed to be. That's a really interesting idea. It says that there are certain ways that nature is that we want to preserve, not because it makes us happy or makes the elephants happy necessarily, but just because it's good for nature to be that way. Thanks, Dr. Jen Morton from City College of New York. Back to Aristotle. Shemita, it sort of feels like we started today's conversation in a pickle, and then we didn't really get out of it. That's because this is a really tough situation. (sighs) Look, I think to get myself in the right sort of frame of mind... uh, I think I better just head home and put on my elephant onesie. Okay, Carl, but before you leave, a big thanks to our Brains Trust today. They were the students from IS318 in Brooklyn, Cleveland Middle School in Oklahoma, and also the Environmental Charter Middle School in Englewood, Los Angeles. Carl, I, I gotta admit something. I've been spending so much time thinking about elephants. I've been sort of imagining what it might be like if there was an elephant translating device and we could actually talk to them. So what would you ask them, Shamita? I think I'd want to know, do you dream at night? I think I'd ask them whether humans sound like weird and squeaky to them. I'd want to ask them, have you ever fallen in love? Maybe I'd ask them if, like, when they're marching together, whether they sing, like, a song to stay in time or anything like they do in the Jungle Book. I would ask them,
produced by Emily Botine, Amy Pearl, Kyla Slarvin, and Paula Schumann. Sound design and original music by Isaac Jones. Mixing help from Jeremy Bloom and Matt Boynton. With support from Sarah Sandback and Danielle Guimet. Tell us what you think. Write us a review on iTunes. Pickle is a co-production of WNYC Studios and the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, where the series originated as Short and Curly. Curly.